Ah, oh, that's a good boy. Good boy. On today's episode, we're going to speak with a man whose riding partner is a dog. And this dog has ridden more miles on a motorcycle than most people will cover in their entire lifetime. Coming up next, I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio from the Road. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coat. Hello, here is Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. This is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And MotorTour.com, the world's only independent social community for bikers. Plan routes, share travel blogs, and meet other bikers on what's been dubbed as the new Facebook for motorbike riders. It's 100% free, so join today at www.MotorTour.com. MotorTour. Ride, share, connect. That's www.MotorTour.com. I really enjoyed my conversation with Aaron, and I, and I like this interview because it's very honest, it's very real, it's very raw, and there's some parts in it that you may agree or disagree with, but at the very least it's thought-provoking, and he takes the listener to a place that you might not otherwise visit unless you were prompted to do so. Eric Garagian has spent the last 10 years living from his motorcycle with his dog and his best friend, Spirit. He rides a BMW motorcycle equipped with a sidecar for the dog. The dog wears a helmet, he wears goggles, and often a coat if the weather is too cool. And as Eric describes it, his life is more about living on the road rather than being on an extended journey, because that's how he sees it. He sees that his home is the road. On today's episode, we're going to talk with Era about how you managed to stay on the road for 10 years to begin with, what it's like, and what keeps him there now. When I spoke with Era, him and Spirit were holed up in South Texas. This is Era Garagian with Spirit, my faithful pit bull. Uh, I was born and raised in France where my parents went to medical school. Uh, my grandparents lived in Egypt, so I spent a lot of time there. My aunt and uncle lived in Uganda. I spent a lot of time there. I was able to hitchhike four times throughout Europe, Middle East, Africa. You know, you go to Morocco and you pick up the ferry back to Gibraltar, go through Spain, back to Paris. Uh, and I was a chef. I went to culinary school for three years in Switzerland. And then uh, I moved to this country. I was in my late 20s. And I was self-employed all my life because in Switzerland you learn things differently. I really could not work with anyone. It's, it's, they teach you efficiency. 
And uh, to be honest with you, no one is efficient in their kitchens here. So I worked, I always had a bakery and a restaurant and then I end up, the last 22 years I end up uh, being a personal chef for about 44 clients that would fly me all over the world in their jets and we'd spend $15,000 on a dinner for 12, uh, which I must say was, it was a lot of fun. And that of course is before you hit the road. Yeah, 14, 14 years ago, Lance got sick uh, with liver cancer. Uh, we didn't find out till he was at stage four, and uh, he battled that for two years. Um, I was never a money-oriented person. I This is one recommendation I have for everyone that's on the road, riding, doing their job, uh, including you, whatever you do, do it with passion. I have, I still have a lot of passion for cooking and that's what I did. But when Lance got sick, everything changed. And 11 years ago, he passed away and everything really changed. Uh, so let's just back up a little bit before, because you're basically flying around, living a, a really exotic life. You're you're em- employed by people, obviously, uh, or subcontracting or contracting to people who obviously have a lot of money, and life is great at that point. Life is great at that point. Life was pretty incredible at that point, even more so because I only worked seven months out of the year and I could ride the other five months. You said you started off-road riding at a, at a young age. Just tell us about how you got into riding and sort of where it where it progressed into uh, <laughs> the adventure riding. <laughs> I was 10 years old and not too far from us, there was a motorcycle place that ran at Solex. It's that engine that moves the front tire. Mm-hmm. It's basically a bicycle with a front engine. And, uh, you know, without my parents knowing, I went and rented a Solex. The first one was black, then they came out with a blue Solex. Then I moved up to a Triumph. And this is one thing no one remembers. The Triumph had uh, the shift on the tank. And finally, you know, I reached the age where I could, let's say, more legally ride a bike. And my parents bought me, I think it was a 250 to start with. And um, that was it. I was hooked up, you know. There's, There's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. So, um... You know, I rode uh, as much as I could, and uh, I always had a a motorcycle, and uh, over the years, um, especially when I started working, then I had a bunch of motorcycles, and uh, that's that's, that's how the story went. So as you're um, sort of living the high life, getting flown around, doing these exotic meals uh, for for ridiculous amounts of money, you're coming back uh, and spending the rest of the time riding your motorcycle. 
Exactly. And what were you doing there for riding? Are you going on long distance trips or is it just riding around where you lived? No, I, I never, my home base was Naples, Florida. And the seven months that I worked, you know, I pretty much worked 16, 18 hour days. I never had a home. I always rented a studio with a housekeeper. Um, and rode, you know, the little time that I had, I rode. But then the five, when the five months came up, uh, that's when I took off with camping gear and rode all over the country, including British Columbia and, uh, you know, Mexico. Uh, those were five full, full months of riding which was great. <laughs> yeah, it would be. And, and at some point you got married and, and had children. I only had one, Jim. I only had one. And that's the, that's the hard part. I wish I had half a dozen children. I don't have sisters. I don't have brothers. Uh, spirit is really my only family. Um, you know, it's kind of ironic, but that's how it goes. And uh, yes, while I was married, I also worked a lot, which unfortunately cost me my marriage. You know, we're a little, please don't take this personally, a little young and foolish when we're younger. So I worked a lot and it cost me my marriage and... Uh, that's how the story went. So the, the, the thing that really changed your life, I mean, you were, you were doing what you were doing, um, and then your son got sick. Um, so I know it's a, it's a very sad thing, but it's certainly integral to your story and what um, sort of pushed you into changing your life completely. Can you tell us about how that, how that, how that came about? Well, um. I've always been a perfectionist in my in my work, and when Lance passed away, and of course those rich people didn't care. I mean, they took care of me, but they really didn't care. They, that's just how it goes. Um, I just couldn't handle mentally what was what I was doing, so I let my business go. I got little jobs here and there. Strangely enough, I got fired from all those jobs, you know, which looking back is kind of funny. A five-star chef getting fired from, you know, flipping hamburgers, but I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, I guess. And one night, you know, I, 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 had, I had my GS uh, because I, I end up having neck problems, so I couldn't ride sport bikes anymore. So I had the GS, and I was by myself. I rescued Spirit. I didn't want to leave him behind ever, so I got a sidecar. I had one job that went sour, and one night I just decided we're taking up, you know... I don't wish that moment on anyone. Uh, when I go back reading my journal, 
uh, it's almost scary. It's being in a dark tunnel, you know, no light with no hope and nothing to lose. Uh, I just had nothing else to lose. And so we, we took off. I didn't know where I was going. I knew I was going west. Actually, we got lost the first day. If you ever read our book, uh, we got lost the first day, which is kind of funny looking back. I, st I, I enjoy writing. I, I majored in 16th century French literature. I love language. I love the, the music of the 16th century French language. And I... I kept a journal. A friend of mine helped me with a journal. Uh, it was not intentionally to be on the internet, but that's how she set it up. And I said, that's okay. I only have a couple of friends anyhow, so at least they'll know where I am. And, uh, you know, November 6, 2006, I enjoy writing. It's... It's it's my therapy to write every morning. I have a cup of coffee and I write my thoughts. So we left, and what can I say? We're you get hooked. You, we're still going. You were suffering from from really from being depressed, I guess, from the loss of your son, understandably, and you hit the road, you decided, you made that decision, you're, you're saying you were in a dark place, but what were you escaping from and what were you hoping to find on the road? I have no idea, Jim. I just... It was just a decision. It was like, okay, what is at this very moment while I got nothing else to lose, uh, I was a very angry man. I thought I was the only one in this world that had lost their child, which is very wrong. Every family, just about every family has a tragedy in their lives. What do I, what do I like doing? I like to ride a motorcycle. I like to have my dog with me. I like camping. I like to write my thoughts. Let's go. Um, this might sound silly, but I, I really think all these years I've always thought Lance is watching over us. I mean, I've had some really, really close calls as far as <laughs> accidents go. But, you know, we nothing ever happened. Um, I was just running from that present, trying to get over the wall of another present. Because, let's face it, being on the road takes your mind away from the mundane life. You know, you got to look for camp. You got to look at the roads. You got to make your, you got to make sure your bike is working good. 
uh, it's busy. Being on the road is very busy. You you really don't have that much downtime. But to to be specifically to have a specific answer, I don't have one. I just thought at that time, you know, anything has to be better than this. And that was that. For those who don't know you and your story yet, um, you're riding a, a motorcycle with a sidecar with your dog, Spirit. Tell us about Spirit and how he came into your life. Ah, uh, Spirit, my golden dog. Uh, one day I decided, you know, I've had two dogs in the past in my life, and I love dogs. People have so much to learn from dogs. Uh, I just went to the Lumpkin County Shelter in Georgia and went a couple times. I I didn't pick him because he was a pit bull. I just picked him because he was in the last cage on the right. He was abused, about 15 pounds underweight. I'll never forget, he raised his head, he looked at me, I looked at him, there was a spark, that was it. I decided he's gonna come home with me. Actually, the manager didn't want me to have him. It was during the week and they were gonna put him to sleep because he's a pit bull, you know, they have a bad reputation. And... uh one day she was off on a Friday and the assistant manager called me and said, if you want that dog, you better come and get him now. We'll sneak him out. And we did. We did. We snuck him out. It took months. It took quite a few months for him to rehabilitate himself. That's the story with Spirit. Now I'm on his leash. He doesn't leave my sight. He rides in your sidecar. Describe how you outfit this dog to ride in your sidecar. Well, he wears goggles. Uh, most of the time, he'll wear his helmet. Uh, he's got a bunch of coats for wintertime. He's got his own seamstress. One of my readers is his seamstress. This lady that writes to me every six months. Does Spirit needs another coat? Please. I'd love to make him another coat. And he's got a, you know, like I have heated gerbings. He's got a heated blanket. And uh, he loves it. You know, he jumped in it the first day. Uh, that was it. Do dogs know. Dogs know when they're rescued. You know, they know. I don't treat a dog like a dog. I, I treat dogs like human beings with a lot of love a lot of respect and spirits he appreciates that he lives his own life we're buddies you know i i don't own him i you know i do say my dog but i really don't own him we we cohabitate and he loves to ride you know he and he writes good. I, I don't know if you ever seen some of his videos. They're under my name on YouTube. Uh, he leans in the curves. 
Um, he's he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he and he's picked this up really on his own. You you put him in it and you take him for a ride, and he sort of adapted. That that was it. I had ordered him some red goggles. First, I had to learn how to ride the sidecar without him because it's it's a totally different animal. You know, if you think you're going to go to the right, it really goes to the left. Of course, you get used to that. And then when I was confident, hey, he just jumped in it. And uh, I remember we went to Dahlonega and uh, that was the day I realized I created a circus. Of course, a lot of riders now have sidecars with their dogs. Um, I mean, well... What else is there, you know? What's the best feeling to, to be on the road with your motorcycle, have your dog with you? Um, I don't know. There's not much better than that. So back when you left, you, you put Spirit in the sidecar, you loaded up your motorcycle. I assume you, you got rid of your possessions or whatever remaining possessions you had, and you hit the road. What, were the, what was the first few weeks, months like for you? And um, what did you find? I found... I found some peace. I found some peace. I... This might sound silly to some people, but I never thought there was any harm thinking it, but I always felt Lance was with us. And, you know, I found new sceneries. The roads gave me new thoughts. I found peace. Um, I found beautiful landscapes. I mean, between your country and this country, we, we live in beautiful countries, if you know where to go. Uh, you know, not RV parks or campgrounds. We never do RV parks or campgrounds. There, there, there's some incredible sceneries. I really didn't know what I was going to find. You know, it took me 10 years to find what I was looking for. <laughs> it took me tw 10 years of questioning. You want the answer? So what was it? There's no answer. It's really that simple. There's no answer. And you're talking about life in general. Yeah, it is what it is, Jim. It is what it is. It's, um, and you just grab life by the horns. Like I said, personally, I don't do drugs. I don't like drinking. I don't enjoy it. Um, I recognize my bad days. I recognize what I call the it moment. I don't know if you ever read the book, The Road by Jack Kerouac. Uh, they had it moments in the book. Those are moments where you're standing and the whole universe is just right. It's just right. It only lasts a few seconds. And uh, that's that. The, the motorcycle is, is, is the tool, you know. Uh, the miles don't matter. Uh, I do know how many miles we've ridden. We've ridden about 300,000 miles. 
but the motorcycle is the tool. It's not, I love riding, but it's, it's also a tool that opens up the doors to the thoughts. I, I have a little mic in my helmet and I generally record my thoughts when I'm riding. And that's what goes on to my journal, which is written for myself. I don't write for anyone. It's probably why some people think I'm a little crazy sometimes, or they don't understand what I'm writing, but they feel it's good. When you're on the road and you're, you've headed out, you've, you've spent a couple of weeks or a couple of months, what are you doing for a direction? Are you just simply riding one day to the next and, and ending up where you end up? Uh, we follow the weather. That's really important. Like right now, we would be where you are. If I didn't have this hip problem right now, by this time, we would be in Montana, we'll probably be in Glacier or in British Columbia. Um, we follow the weather and I have a couple GPSs, you know, I have a smartphone. Um, we do back roads. We never take a freeway or a busy thoroughfare. And, uh, and then we generally stay in one place for a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks. We, th there's a huge difference between living on the road and traveling. You know, I'm not the guy that's going around the world in 218 days trying to do 165 countries. We just live on the road. There's sometimes a couple days go by, we don't even touch the bike. And then we ride. And then, I don't know, 10 days later, two weeks later, a week later, uh, we move on. We have... We have a lot of readers that tell us where to go, to be, to, to be honest with you. I have a lot of information that comes my way. And uh, I have a lot of information. I, I don't even make it public. I will post the photos, but I will never post the Latin long or how to get there. Because unfortunately, a place like uh, Maki, um, Molly Point, which is a little bit north of Valley of the Gods in Utah. You know, no, nobody knew where that was. I mean, literally, no one knew where the, that place was. We were there last year, and there were five campers there, believe it or not. So people are getting to know where places are. So I try to keep them a secret. And... Uh, and never move on a weekend. Always move Tuesday through Thursday. <laughs> yeah, never move on a weekend. Even though the spaces are within miles from each other, they're taken on the weekend. So you got to drop in anywhere between Tuesday and Thursday morning is good. So that's what we do. And you're, you're still doing this now. How many years later? Well, we left November 6, 2006, so it'll be 10 years. 10 years on the road. And where have you ended up? Has it, has it been in North America only? I mean, I know you've done a lot of traveling when you were younger. Yeah, I keep it to the United States and Canada. I, 
I don't know. I don't even want to go to Mexico as much as I love southern Mexico. I I just don't want to look over my shoulder. I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to go back to Europe. I, I, I actually have started some inquiries about a cargo ship where I could take Spirit with me and a sidecar and go to like Le Havre in France. I have a lot of friends in Europe. But no, it's basically been this country. I I don't know. You get older, you don't want to look over your shoulder. So I keep it in the country. I mean, it'll, it'll take a few lifetimes to go what I call everywhere here. I'll never go everywhere. <laughs> it's too big. So I, I definitely go for the quality versus the quantity. You know, the quality has to be there. I have friends that will come here to Big Ben. It, it's just like you. When the day you and your family come to Big Ben, don't try to see it all in a week because you're not going to. You know, pick a few places, go for the quality, and hope that someday you'll come back. That's about all you can do. And you stay in a certain place until you just feel like you want to move on? Yeah. Yeah, little voices tell you, you know, era. it's enough. You know, we've been here a week, 10 days. It's time to move on. And we move on. Well, how do you make a living? How does one do something like this? I mean, you've certainly got to buy fuel and food and all the other things that we need in life. And how do you do that and still manage to travel around place to place? Well, as far as fuel goes, living on the road is much less expensive than traveling. You know, I have so much per month I can spend on fuel. So if I'm going to Salida, Colorado and spend there two weeks and then to, and then go another 200 miles, obviously my fuel expense is much less that if in one month's time I went to Alaska and back, okay, that, that part makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even with daily rides. Uh, fortunately, I'm on Social Security because I'm very old. <laughs> As I feel these past days. Uh, our book, uh, Freedom on Both Ends of the Leash, um, which has been out a little over a year, it still amazes me is doing very well. Uh, I'm not a marketer. I really never marketed. That's just not my thing. It's just been word of mouth. Um, another thing that's happened, and again, you know, I really think Lance is watching over us. Uh, we have quite a few sponsors, which I have not seeked. Uh, there's sponsors that have approached us, like Wolfman. Um, I don't know. I have about $20,000 worth of cameras that, you know, have been given to us. All my tires and oil and 
you know, all those $600 helmets and jackets and boots. Um, I don't know. I got about eight GoPro cameras. I don't know. People approach us and say, hey, we want to sponsor you. And, of course, my answer is, okay, that's fine, but I really don't want to be under any obligations to do anything for you. I will put up a logo in the journal. Uh, of course, I will write about it. I, j I always check the product. Like we we use a Hilbert tent, and it's you know it's a four season tent. They're twelve hundred dollar tents. To me, it's the best tent ever made. You know, you can put it up in the rain, snow, you name it. It's that our tent has seen eighty miles an hour winds in Death Valley and hasn't moved an inch. Uh, to tell you the truth, I think they like spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know we we have we have some really really kind sponsors that sponsor us they don't expect anything from us because I have friends that have I mean you 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 know a bunch of people that have sponsorships I'm not going to name anyone and you know sponsorships change every year um you know they decide to go a different route um they look for sponsors they look for sponsors because they need it um i do need it i'm not going to lie about it you know it's it's at the price of tires today uh, oil, you know, I use, you know, $12 a quart oil. Um, it's nice to have all that, but I've, I don't know. I've just been very lucky and it could be because of the journal being just an honest, it's just an honest journal. You know, there's, again, this is another thing that amazes me. A um, couple of weeks ago, we passed 5 million readers, and I'm going, you know, my God, what happened? You know, it's like, I think people want the truth. I think people, a lot of people have the fear of the fear of speaking up, of really saying how their own journey is or how their own lives is where i don't have that fear you, you know i want to say wrongly so but i just don't know how else to explain it it doesn't matter to me you know i it's important for me to unbottle my thoughts and put them on paper or on those pages today. And maybe some sponsors have realized that and are kind enough to help us out because it is a big help. As you know, you know, every time you buy tires, I don't want to know how much you pay for it, <laughs> but it's probably quite a bit. 
And often sponsors change the scene. Uh, you hear of stories of people who get sponsors for a trip and they find themselves obligated, just as what you said you, you didn't want to do, to produce a video or produce a journal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me. I, I got hooked up in the commercial scene for a couple of years. I did because, let's be honest, we all have some kind of an ego within us. We, we all do. You can't avoid that. And, you know, five, six years ago, when entities approached me and said, oh, you know, we'll sponsor you if you do this. We'll sponsor you if you come to this rally, uh, this and this and that. I did. Hey, you know, at the time, I thought, oh, wow, it's going to be really nice to see my name in magazines which again, there's no need for names. And then after a while, just like you said, you realize that first of all, they don't pay you, okay? Uh, 15 emails later, finally you get half of what the contract was. The other thing is, just like you said, you are owned. And I know quite a few writers. I know a writer that went to pa Panama and she came back and she was sponsored by a couple people and she had to post a photo every night and videos. She hated it. I know some people right now that are in South America with two brand new BMW motorcycles. And they're not doing very well. Why aren't they doing very well? Because they're owned by BMW. I met a writer six years ago. He stopped by here. Again, no need for names. And he was a really cool guy. You know, he was from Europe and we had a good time talking. And then he got hooked up in sponsorships with BMW, big time sponsorships, okay? Going around the world, South America, Asia, you name it. Last year he stopped by here. He was a totally different guy. As soon as he got off the saddle, hey, Era, I gotta shoot a video. I gotta shoot a video every night. I got to take pictures of this. I got to take picture. And I looked at him. I said, you know, what happened to you? You know, you're a totally different person. And he said, well, you know, I owe my sponsorships. So, you know, don't do it. Yeah, because it does change everything, doesn't it? I mean, it's it, it really, you have to think it through. And I, and I think that... Um, Many people, I mean, we all fall into this where we think, wow, it'll be great to have those companies behind us and covering us. But it's um, it's in the fine print, isn't it? It's it's in what you're expected to give back. It's something to seriously consider, yet it seems to be the first thing that pops out of everybody's mouth when they talk about doing a trip. I hear it all the time. People are saying, you know, well, how am I going to attract sponsors? Well, you know, Jim, it's gotten worse. I have a friend that wants to go around the world in two years. Okay, great, you know, no problem. 
She's got her 250 chosen, and actually, I've helped her out with a couple items already. Uh, you know, giving her a break on the price. She wants to start a Kickstarter. Basically, hey, Jim, can you give me some money so I can go around the world? No, I mean, seriously. And so I told her, I said, listen, you know, you haven't gone anywhere. You know what you're doing? You're begging. You know, you're begging. I came across another one. This was even better. This guy started a Kickstarter to buy a motorcycle. It's, it's, I don't know, it's going crazy. And because of the ego that people are carrying with themselves without the experience that in the future they will be owned by those companies, it's happening. Uh, I, I, I know some people right now, God, I'd love to give names, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Uh, they're in big trouble. They're in big, big trouble because they're on the other side of the world and the sponsors have quit. Uh, Spirit was a sp Spirit was sponsored by On Guard. Uh, you know, um, uh, bicycle and motorcycle locks for a while. He was their mascot. And it was really nice. You know, it was... $2,000 for the year. Hey, you know, that's plenty of money for fuel and all that. And after a year, it stopped. You know, they decided to, I don't know, do another route. There's another sponsor that was really nice to us with jackets and boots and helmets and uh, now they quit and they decided to go into racing in, instead. Uh, you cannot count on sponsors. And just like you said, you have to read the fine prints. Because you know what the bottom line is? The bottom line is you should ride and go places for yourself. Because we only have one life to live. You know, if we're lucky to live to a hundred, that's it. And that life goes by really, really fast. We're very fragile. As strong as we might think we are, we are very delicate. And every moment counts. And that is something I learned from my dog, from spirit. Live in the moment. You know, I can look at him and you think he's worried about dinner tonight? He's not. You think he's worried about what are we going to do tomorrow or what's going to happen in two days? He's not. He's just living the moment. But we're so programmed from, from the day we're born when we got slapped after two seconds of being born to look into the future, you know, to 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 project ourselves without enjoying the moment. I have a friend, you'll like this. 
he rides a Roku's a Roku 50cc. It's the one-wheel drive by Honda. 50cc, maximum speed, 15 miles an hour, uh, 100 miles to the gallon, okay? He's 27. He's already been on the road for two years. Can you imagine how much he sees going 10 miles an hour? I mean, you might say it's not safe, but he's safe. You know, he's got a big red flag. He just went home last month. He went back to Virginia. He sold his GS, everything else he had, and he's back on the road. He's going to Labrador now. I mean, he's 27. What a cool guy, you know? He's 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 my hero. He he knows if he doesn't do it now, he's going to have to wait till he might never do it. He's doing it now, you know? And he has no sponsorships. You know, he's uh, he's got a little tent. He camps for free. You know, a little Roku and a little tent. You can just go behind a silo, pitch your tent. He just does overnights, generally. Pitch your tent, go to sleep. He's gone in the morning. But, of course, he's 27. You know, he's full of energy. Um, I can't even remember how much energy I had when I was 27. Uh, th there's people that offer him money. He was at a gas station with me in Alpine, and someone took $100 out of his wallet to give him, and he refused. He said, no. He said, give it to someone that really needs it. I don't need it. I, I, I just thought that was so cool, you know? And then the other side of the wall are these people that want to be sponsored by gazillion companies that haven't even started their trip. You know, they haven't even gone a mile yet. Is your blog about sort of along the lines of what we've been talking about, your thoughts on life and, and different things? Do you come across it? Pretty much. Pretty much. Whatever I'm thinking that morning is what goes on. Because you did mention to me before, you, you don't do political and you don't do all the stuff that the, the controversial things that are easy to stir up, I guess, and get a, um, a, a bunch of people in a heated debate about. Those aren't the things that you're covering in your blog. There's no need. There's no need. What, what good would it do us to sit here right now and talk about politics? Seriously. What, what good would it do? No, none. Again, I'm going back to it is what it is, you know, and I, and I think, you know, my blog is about hope, is about faith of life. It's about adventures. It's about, you know, it's about the journey. It's about the journey. It's about what one feels when they're living on the road versus basically traveling you know i i don't want i don't want to see that i don't want to see that photo of a bike laying in the mud anymore i'm so tired of that you know the the, the motorcycle is an incredible tool 
you know, you, you mentioned that uh, you know you're sort of sick of seeing the that uh, that picture of the bike in the mud uh, laying outside. That is what a lot of people put out there as far as what an adventure is, what traveling on a motorcycle is. It's about hardship and, and adversity. And, and we often talk about adventure on, on this show. And, and I'll put the question to you now. What is adventure to you? How do you describe that? And, and is adversity and time required? Because it seems that in most people's case, adversity is right up there uh, in making what an adventure is. And then others will say there's a certain time required. Adversity is always there. You know, luckily I'm on a sidecar, so I can't fall. <laughs> um, adversity is always there, but there's a way to handle adversity. I've, I've had breakages. You know, we crashed in Louisiana one time. Uh, we've had our links that attach to sidecar break a couple times. Um Again, I don't know. I use the logical approach that, okay, let's take the steps to fix it. You get a flat tire. I love tube tires. You know, I can change a tube in 20 minutes. I carry a full compressor with me. I carry a spare battery. Actually, I carry a lot of spare parts. I think I carry enough parts to build another bike. Um, it's adverse. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, it's funny you say that because someone wrote to me, uh, this friend of mine, Lynn, he wrote to me a few days ago. He said, you know, you need to write another book that is strictly about... I'm going to say the mechanical side of the traveling, you know, about the adversity, about where do you choose to, to pitch your tent? You know, you're not going to, you know, you're going to choose a high ground, how to learn the weather. Um, I always talk to locals. Locals are my huge source of roads. You know, they're also my huge source of food. You know, hey, where can I find this? Uh, what's a good road around here? In what shape is it? And invariably, if I forget to ask, it's generally a disaster because the road has been washed away or this or that. Um, I don't know. It's it's all part of part of the journey. It's uh, I know you're part of the media, and I I hate to say this, but Media likes to portray hardships, you know, give, give, give me some news, give me a news channel. I mean, I don't watch TV, but I look at Flipboard once a week. I, I have to make sure we're still spinning, you know, um, I, I, I never see good news. I see bad news, you know, everything is bad news and people like that. So people like that bike laying in the mud you know it's like wow that's great you know we're gonna applaud this and i mean i'm sorry i apologize that's just not the way i think you know things gonna happen of course they're gonna happen i got three hundred forty-two thousand miles on my bike you know of course things are gonna happen but i'm not i'm not gonna advertise that you know what, what's the sense 
I'm going to take the steps to fix it and get rolling again. It's human nature, though, isn't it, to, to be attracted to those anomalies, and especially not even just anomalies, but, but grotesque anomalies. So when something goes <laughs> terribly wrong, and I'm not sure what it is in it that is so exciting for us. You know, they call it rubbernecking when people go by an accident and they're, yeah. and they're trying to get a look. Why do we want yeah. to see? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it is what attracts it. And like you say, Era, I mean, that's what the media puts out there because it that's is, what draws readers. It is what it is, Jim. That's how we were built from day one. I give you a slight example. Uh, there's a guy that makes beautiful videos of nature. I mean, we are talking, the guy's pretty famous now, but I was lucky to see his first video. And uh, the 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 video was called hope and I, i've i've i watch it just about every day because we just we need reassurance in life and you know he had i don't know maybe 300,000 views you know and you know when the video finishes little squares come up with other videos and I noticed there were other videos with like 16 million viewers, 20 million viewers. And I got curious. I said, you know, I got to watch this video. I mean, 20 million people watched it. I got to watch it too. And I click on it and guess what it is? It's a car accident. It's a guy that fell off the roof on his head in a, wheel, in a wheelbarrow. It's a motorcycle accident. People love that stuff. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, to me, it's painful. I I can't watch stuff like that. It's, it's painful. It's painful. I've had accidents. I know how much pain it is. I know how much physical pain it is. You know, to to watch this guy on a motorcycle being, you know, t-boned by a car and flying fifty feet in the air. It's like, oh my, you know, I, I feel for the guy, you know, I'm hurting for him. I don't want to watch that, but not everyone is like me, you know, that's just how it is. Let's talk about the book for a, a moment, Freedom on Both Ends of the Leash. Absolutely fantastic title, by the way. Uh, and, uh, and it looks like a, a great cover shot. I've not read the book yet, but I, I certainly want to. Tell us about this book. I took that picture, by the way. That was a cold day in Big Band. And I don't ask me why. I decided to put the tripod and put the camera on it. And I took a bunch of shots. Uh, it was a very cold day, and I liked it. Actually, that picture was uh, picked by Ron Howard. You know who he is. He's a American actor. Uh, he uh, The picture was picked by Ron Howard and Cannon. Uh, it ended up in the top 10 amongst 95,000 entries worldwide. Yeah, it didn't win. I just got a... A whole hundred dollars for it. Oh, geez, but boy, the top ten of something like that—that's amazing. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's the only contest I've ever entered, which I will ever enter. The book is the journal. 
it's 250 pages or something like that. You know, I have about 900 entries in my journal. So it's, it's 10 years on the road in the journal. It's, it's the steps from day one to actually two years ago. I started writing it when my mother passed away two years ago, April 12th. So it was going to be a really bad winter for me. My mother, my mother was my best friend. She lived in Munich, but you know, we, we Skyped every day as much as we could anyhow. And uh, a friend of mine, a very good editor said, era, I think this is a good time to write your book. And I did. Uh, it was a seven days a week, uh, work. Uh, I'm that way. When I start something, I got to finish it. And it's the journal. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's 10 years in 250, actually eight years in 250 pages. And, um, it has all the places that we've been. It's, it's a mix of my thoughts, my feelings, the journey, spirit, the places we've been, actually all the places that we've been once. Now we've been back some of those places but i've only written about it once and then uh i don't know a couple months ago i put out a photo book but that was kind of for me because that's something i always wanted to do i chose the best quality paper and 11 by 13 it's called hues of my vision uh, unfortunately, the book is $92. <laughs> That's a pricey one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, you know, Jim, I could have cut the price in half by picking, you know, regular paper and making the book eight by eight and making, uh, you know, cheaper, but this is what I wanted to do. And I did, uh, you know, it. Uh, nothing that I do is a commercial entity. That's why the book Freedom on Both Hands of the Leash really surprised me. I mean, I, I sell it myself, autographed, uh, and then it's also on Amazon. And the other day it was still uh, ranked, I don't know, maybe 30,000 amongst 8 million books. It's just an honest book. You know, it's not a... It's not a made-up story. It's, I think it's something that a lot of people feel but are afraid to, to pronounce. And I'm not afraid, you know. I just write. What, what, what else do I got to lose, Jim? You tell me. Nothing, you know. So better live the moment and... Uh, the scar of losing Lance will always be there. Uh, people ask me how I deal with it, and my reply is I, I have better tools today to handle my days, my nights and days, and that's about it. Just better tools, better understanding of life, because it is what it is. I can't undo the past. I have to deal with it. And this is my choice uh, to deal with it. It's a little bit of a bold choice, 
I think it's a lot of people's dream from what I read to, to get on and live on the road forever. There's a few that have tried, but they've gone back to work a, a year later. They couldn't handle it. Well, there's a certain amount of uncertainty you have to be comfortable with. It's almost like being self-employed, isn't it? You have to be, you have to be comfortable with the fact. I mean, I really like what you said about spirit, and and, and clearly you'd mentioned earlier that spirit's obviously the personality one of you two <laughs> that helps you with the sponsors. But I like the way you said about spirit. He doesn't worry about whether his dinner is going to be there tonight. You know, he he's he's living in the moment, and and you probably have to do that to be able to live on the road and be comfortable with yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like I'm going to the doctor Wednesday uh, and I'm starting at 830 with the hip doctor, who's the main doctor. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not concerned about it because that's Wednesday. We're Monday. I'm talking to you right now. You know, I'm not Wednesday already. I'm Monday you know, 1.23 p.m. Um, that's what I learned from spirit. And if you can do that, you can stay on the road. And another factor, I must say, and again, the media loves to portray the bad people, the bad things that happen. I have to tell you something, Jim. There are a lot of nice people out there. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of nice people. And just one example, we have we broke our final drive in Canyon de Chez a few years back, and it was about a $5,000 repair. Now, I, I didn't have the money, and a good friend drove, what, 1,600 miles that day to tow us to Tucson, to the shop, and it was $5,000. And I, all I did, all I did is write in our journal, our journey is stopped right now. I have to get a job. I have to save $5,000 for the repair. Um, you know, that was that. Well, guess what? Within four days, within four days, there was a little over $5,000 in my PayPal. Yeah, that that's, I still get goosebumps just thinking about it. You know, and the thing to note here, Era, and I think for the listener, is that that's not you getting money given to you for nothing. What you've got is you've got a following of people who love what you're giving them. They love the adventures that you're posting. They love what you're putting out there. And you've sort of done that leap of faith. You've put it out there. And as you said, it was for yourself, but you put it out there. Um, people are eating it up and loving it. And that's why you're getting the support. You're not asking to saying, you know, give me money because I want to I wanna ride around and, and not use any of my pocket money. It's They're giving it because they're getting something from you. Yeah, you're right about that. You're very right. I've had quite a few emails. <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. Telling me, hey, Era, hurry up with your hip so you can get rolling again. Because, you know, we want to see those photos. We want to see where we're going. We're in a cubicle Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. 
And all we got on the weekend, you know, is the Sunday afternoon football game and the barbecue with hot dogs and the neighbors and the kids screaming constantly. Uh, you're, you're right about that. But, you know, I've never done it intentionally. And, and you know that because you just said that. I, I didn't set out, hey, my final drive is broken. I need $5,000. I, I was embarrassed. To tell you the truth, I was embarrassed because the money kept coming in. And a couple of friends said, hey, let it go. Let more money come in. That way you'll buy a brand new bike. And I said, no, no, I'm already embarrassed about this. I thanked every single person through email individually. And then one person, um, uh, Glenn, said, Era, there's something you're not understanding. You like to give, don't you? And I said, I love to give. You know, I have extra helmets. I have extra boots. Every time I see someone that needs something and I'm not using, I just give it to them. I just gave two GoPros to someone that really needed them. Well, maybe she didn't need them, but she's going on a trip. She'd like to have them, so I send them to her. Um. I said, yeah, I love to give. And he said, why don't you allow the same pleasure to others? Meaning, why don't you allow for others to also give to you? Because that is a pleasure for them. And I understood that, but I still have a hard time. I'm still embarrassed. And this happened again um, Two years ago, when my engine blew up at 281,000 miles, again, I didn't have plan B. I didn't have enough money saved up to, there was a used RT engine for sale, only had 30,000 miles on it for $500. And for $3,500, they would have done the swap. Um I didn't have $3,500, and I called a very, very good friend of mine who's a very good mechanic, and I said, you know, is it even worth for me to get a job to, to save $3,500 to replace the engine? Because then I could start fresh. I'll have 30,000 miles on the engine, and the bike is the bike, you know? And he said, you know... He said, you have the money if you want. And he said, I'll put it in your account right now if you want. We don't even have to talk about when you're going to pay me back or how you're going to pay me back. So I thought about it for a couple of days because, you know, friendship and money, it's difficult. You really don't want to mix that too often. Finally, I called him. I said, okay. And, you know, the money was in my account. I paid him back in 11 months. My last payment, which was $350, you know, the last payment came back and he said it's a gift from us because whenever, I'm also on Social Security, by the way, since I turned 62. So I do get Social Security and I would not survive without Social Security, uh, which is, you know, the American government retirement plan or whatever you want to call it. 
And um, every every month I got Social Security. I took $300 off the top and I send it to them. They always thanked me. And like I said, the last payment, they send it right back. They said it's a gift from us. So, and I can give you a bunch of examples like this. There's a lot, a lot of nice people. You know, Wednesday, I'm going to Midland. These people have offered their four-bedroom house. They actually have offered me their master bedroom with bathroom. They say, we don't use it. You just come in. You stay as long as you want. We'll take care of you. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a lot of cool people out there. There's a lot of cool people. But, Jim, you have to think positive, okay? you got to stop looking at that bike laying on the side in the mud and imagining other things. You have to stay positive, and I... I have to stay positive. If you could give some advice to the, you know, a person that may be considering doing something similar, even be it a motorcycle or a vehicle or whoever, but living on the road. And, and living on the road is becoming more popular as times change, I guess. And people find maybe for several reasons. One, they may not be interested in, in doing the nine to five. Maybe they can't afford the real estate, whatever the case is more people are doing it. What advice would you give to someone considering that? Well, first of all, have some really good gear. Okay. Don't go to Walmart and get the cheapest gear. And that goes for either you're on a motorcycle or you're in a Toyota Land Rover. I also have a lot of friends with in the four by four. You got to have good gear. You got to have good maps. I use benchmark map. Unfortunately, it's one map per state. And the maps is to find the BLM land, to find the national forest where you can uh, camp for free. And it's not the free aspect, you know, because the person that lives on the road might, they might have money. Who knows? It's the aspect that, you know, I don't want to be in a campground with a, with a drunk next to me. I've had to go to campgrounds. There's been times I didn't have a choice. You know, it's late at night. It's I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. And I always get the drunk next to me. I always get the kids yelling next to me. And I love kids, but, you know. Uh, or the dog that's locked up in the camper and the people are away and this dog is barking. So that's what the maps come from. And that's about it. Have a, have a hobby. I either start writing or do photography. I do a lot of photography. I enjoy it. Again, it's not commercial. You know, I, I don't make any money off photos. People tell me I should do this, do this, do that. I did a photo book. You know, I told you it's $92. Nobody's going to buy that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I can't even afford my own book. Isn't that (laughs) pathetic? You might be surprised uh, that someone may come in and, uh, and start to buy that book up. They can get your book by visiting your website. Yeah, it's theoasisofmysoul.com. Yeah, and I think it's just a, a beautiful name for a website. 
Ari, you've got an incredible story, and um, we're going to put the link to your blog in our show notes. And of course, everyone listening is going to have to get the book, because I think it's going to be one of those, uh, including myself, one of those uh, must-reads. Thank you very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio and, and sharing at least part of your story, because we're clearly going to have to get you back to talk some more. Thank you, Jim. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with Eric Garigian about him and spirit. And you can find out more about them by visiting their website, theoasisofmysoul.com. What a beautiful name for a website, theoasisofmysoul.com. And of course, you can check out our show notes where we'll have photographs and some more information about Era and Spirit at our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And MotorTour.com, the world's only independent social community for bikers. Plan routes, share travel blogs, and meet other bikers on what's been dubbed as the new Facebook for motorbike riders. It's 100% free, so join today at www.MotorTour.com. MotorTour. Ride, share, connect. That's www.MotorTour.com. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and this one is done as well, completely on the road. Here I'm sitting at a picnic table beside the lake with a breeze blowing across my shoulders and a, well, maybe not quite sunny day out, slight overcast, but still just gorgeous to be outside. So if you see a guy sitting at a picnic table with a big set of headphones on and a massive microphone sitting there, well, you know, it's me. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Drop back next week when we'll have another good show for you. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Send us your comments. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And I want to say thank you to those of you who took the time to stop by the website and send us a donation, however small. It really helps pay the bills here at Adventure Rider Radio. I really appreciate it. So thank you. And those of you who haven't been by the website to drop off a donation but are thinking about doing it, come on, pop on over there. Click on the donate button. It's really easy to do. It doesn't cost you much. It helps keep the wheels rolling here at Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. And we got to say special thanks to co-producer Elizabeth Martin for putting this one together. Till next week. Hey, one more thing. Don't forget when you drop by our show partners or our sponsor's website or their store, make sure you let them know that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio so that they know their money is well spent. And that helps keep the show going. There's no doubt about it. Hi, this is Carla King, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.